Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. Good evening, Harbor. Welcome to service tonight. I really appreciate you guys spending time with us and uh, as we're walking through the series in James called Life According to James. For those of you guys who don't know me, my name is Kevin and I work at the youth department and I'm, I'm hanging out with the services. And so we at the, at the youth team are, are continuing to bring these services to you and, and we're praying that the Holy Spirit ministers to your heart through the Word of God. So like I said, we are continuing in our series of James called Life According to James, right? And that James... Many scholars believe that the, the person that wrote James is James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, can you imagine your, your brother being Jesus? I mean, like, that's, if, if we're going to play favorites, James is the person to speak into how to deal with playing with favorites, right? I mean, you can't really, you can't really out, you can't be better than Jesus. And James is actually going to speak into that today, this idea of favoritism amongst believers. And, and he's actually writing this, this letter to believers, to Christ followers at the time. And he's writing it to help them springboard into a deeper faith. He wants them to go deeper into who God is. And, he, and he's making a way for that to happen. And the way he structures this, this section is he, he addresses a problem and then he provides solutions with it. Right? And we're going to see how he does that through James chapter 2. Okay, so let's go ahead and pray and we'll get right into it. God, I thank you so much for who you are. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would, would fall upon us today. Let us hear from you. Let us know you through your word. Holy Spirit, that you would speak compassion to us. That will compel us to action. So that we can grow deeper in our faith and live the abundant life that you promise with your presence, God. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we are in James chapter 2. Um, and just for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to kind of summarize the in-between sections, okay? But I did want us to focus on verse 1. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? And then in verses two through seven, he goes on to say, do not dishonor the poor and favor the rich. If you do that, aren't you just living selfishly? And then he comes back in with verse eight. He says, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. And then 10 through 12, he gives examples of, of if you break one law, you're guilty of breaking all the law. And then we pick it up back up in 13 where he says, there will be no mercy for those who have shown no mercy to others, for mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's the first idea that I want to sit with today is that as Christ followers, we are called to choose mercy over judgment. And the problem here is the idea of favoritism. And Teddy Roosevelt said, said it like this. Teddy Roosevelt says that comparison is the thief of joy. Verse one, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus if you favor some people over others? And see, one of two things are gonna happen when, when you start living your life in comparison. You're either gonna steal somebody else's joy 
or you're gonna allow your joy to be stolen by the circumstances of somebody else's life. You can look to somebody else and you're either doing one of two things. You're either looking to somebody else saying, my life is better than theirs, so I must be doing okay. Or you're gonna look and say, I don't have what they have. I want what they have. Either way, your joy is being stolen. And we're, we're such a risk for this with, with in, our, in, our, in our day and age today. We look at things like social media. I'm so guilty of this. Like when I'm winding down for the day, I'm scrolling through Instagram, right? I'm scrolling through Instagram and I, one of two things are gonna happen. I'm gonna scroll and be like, man, I went to high school with that person. I am so glad my, not, my life is not like their life. Or, or, or the other option is, Man, I went to high school with that person. How, how did they have all these things and, and I don't? I'm a good person. I deserve that stuff. I allow, we allow those things to, to seep into our thought process and, and James is addressing that problem. But he also, he also presents solutions. So let's, let's figure out what those are. See, the first solution that he presents is that for, for Christ followers, we are to love our neighbor as ourself. He references, he, he pulls that from Mark chapter 12, verse 30 to 31. But here in, in James in verse eight, he says, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the law as found in scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. See, his argument is that you ought not to love one person over another. You ought not to look at the rich person coming in your door or the person that you think you can get something from out of that friendship. He's challenging you to say, do not love that person more than the person that you don't think can benefit your life. Because James is wanting us to recognize that life is so much more abundant when we live it selflessly. When we live a life of love that Christ laid out for us as an example, when we live out the life of saying, I love this person because they are, they are an image bearer of God, because they are God's prized possession, I love them. That is when we can live a free and abundant life. Now, I wanna ask you something. Have you loved your neighbor have you loved your neighbor recently in this time of separation and isolation where people are feeling alone and left out? How have you loved your neighbor? How have I loved my neighbor? See, James is wanting us to grow deeper in our faith. And he knows that, that when we live out like Jesus is calling us to live, our faith will deepen and thrive. And the second solution he offers is found in verse 13. It says that there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others because mercy triumphs over judgment. And he, he hits on this idea of intrinsic value of every human being. I said, why? Why does that matter? He says, he pulls this idea, this, this theological idea from Genesis chapter one. It's, it's this idea of a Yamago day where all of creation is created all of humanity is created in the image of God. That humanity is, is separate from the rest of creation. That God stopped and said, let us make man in our image. And he saw that it was good. And there's, there's some comfort that we can take in that realization that we are created in the image of God. First thing is that we are not God. We are not creator. And there's great freedom in that because we're not the biggest thing in our own lives. 
when we recognize that we are simply image bearers of the creator, it frees us up to not have to worry about what I can control or what I can do or or what I have the power to influence. It frees us up to just say, God, let me be who you want me to be. And in that we're pursuing a deeper relationship with God. The second thing is that we see that humanity is set apart and valued higher than the rest of creation. And we get this idea even outside of scripture. Like, so I grew up with, this, with, with my dog, Feather. We grew up together, right? She was a puppy. I was like two or three. There's pictures of me like pushing her around in a little, a little chair in our front yard. The cutest thing ever. But as time went on, she got older. And when I was about 16, we had to put her down. And my heart was broken. But my heart was, not, was broken so much more when my granddad passed two years ago. This man that, that I spent time with, doing life with, learning from, being in relationship with, I got to say goodbye to him one last time. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. Why? Because intrinsically, humanity knows that human life is way more valuable than the life of any other creation. C.S. Lewis actually as he puts it like this in, in his book, Mere Christianity. He calls it the natural human nature or, or the moral law. This, this idea that across all of humanity, humanity values human life. And now we can get into the weeds about like, the different levels of evaluation and your culture influences your, but let's, let's avoid that philosophical topic for now and just stick to the text, recognizing that we are called to value life. There is intrinsic value with all human creation. And because that, because we have been given mercy, we should therefore give mercy. Lamentations 3 puts it like this, that the faithful love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end and they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Because we have been given mercies new every morning, that shouldn't compel us to, to pour out compassion and give mercy new to those around us, to love our neighbor as ourself and know that as we have been a recipient of grace and mercy and love, we are called to give that to the people that are around us. And that brings us to the second section of James chapter two. And remember, James is writing to believers. And I want you to remember that as we're walking through this section here. Verse 14 through 16 basically summarizes the saying, what good is your faith if you do not let it affect your life? Let's pick it up in 17. It says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you do not have good needs? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. And then in 19-25, he walks us through the, the story of Abraham and Rahab who lived out their faith through the works that they did. Abraham, who brought his son to the altar because he believed that God is calling him to do something and he was willing to sacrifice everything for his faith. Or, or Rahab, who hid the messengers and spies, who hid them in her house 
for the people of God. And, and her devotion and her actions was a reflection of her heart and her faith. And we pick it up in 26, it says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. And that's, that's the second theme for today is that our works are the breath. Our works are a reflection of our faith. And again, in, in, in this basic system that James lays out is he, he addresses the problem, right? He addresses the problem that faith alone is simply fire insurance. Verse 17, faith by itself isn't enough to experience that full and abundant life that we are promised. Faith, like we talked about last week, that revelation of our faith should compel us to action. See, James knows that faith plus works leads to an abundant life. And that abundant life is a deeper presence with God. That's the promise. Is that as we press in to who God is, and, to, and as we grow in our faith, we get a greater outpouring of his, his presence and his spirit. And I know some people say the abundant life is one where if you give me a dollar, God will multiply it and give you 10. And I'm sure they are well-meaning and good-hearted, but the promise of Scripture is that the best life that you could have is deepest presence with God. I want to live my life like Enoch, who one day he was walking on this earth, and the next day he was walking with God. That's an abundant life. So how do we get that? See, James puts forth two solutions again. He says, one, faith is made complete through our works. In verse 18, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You see, internalizing our faith should spur us into acting out on it. There's just this theory, there's this modality in, in therapy called cognitive behavior therapy, and there's this triangle that says that, your thoughts affect your feelings and your feelings affect your actions and your actions influence your thoughts, right? So it is cyclical. They're all affecting one another. So what I believe naturally should affect how I think and how I act. That's not this new idea that psychology came up with. It's an idea that we find here in James. James is saying what you believe will affect how you act and how you act will influence what you think and how you believe. I want to challenge you. Have you truly allowed your faith to reach your heart? Have you allowed your faith to change your world and the way you interact with the world around you? If you haven't, I want to encourage you. James wants to encourage you to go deeper with your relationship with God, to grow your faith so that your world does not remain the same, but every day the mercies are made new and every day you will grow deeper and walk in a, in a, a more intimate relationship with the Lord. This, the second solution that he puts forth um, is, this, is this great theological, philosophical debate of, of justification versus sanctification. And I would argue that James is not trying to bring forth or muddy the waters or create confusion. He is very clear that justification is a legal term and sanctification is a spiritual process. Verse 26 says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. See, like I said, justification is that legal term. It is, justification is the moment of salvation when I surrendered my heart to the Lord and recognized that he is the perfect sacrifice 
I'm found innocent in the eyes of God. That's justification. I am justified by the surrendering of my heart to Jesus. I am completed by Jesus and received upon surrendering our lives to him. That is the completeness of innocence is when we surrender our lives. We are justified by grace through faith. That's Romans 3. And, and the pastor Matt Chandler puts it like this, that justification is the idea that you and I have been justified before God, that the sovereign judge of the universe concerning you and concerning me has banged the gavel down and declared us innocent. That brings us to that sanctification. Sanctification is actually a verb. It's a continual process. It's pursuit of being set apart, growing in righteousness. See, sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. To be set apart from glory to glory. Now, growing up, I used to be a super angry dude. Like, I, I would flip like that. But I recognize in, in this time of deep discipleship that I went and was just like trying to pursue the Lord, I recognized that through James 1, 9-20 that I need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Slow to anger. Why? Because the anger of man, my anger, does not achieve the righteousness of God. So if I were truly to grow in my walk with Jesus, I had to subdue and kill that aspect of my flesh because it does not achieve God's righteousness. And the pursuit and the, and the process of sanctification is making me more and more in line with, with God's heart. See, it's not, sanctification isn't really rocket science. Sanctification is just saying, I love God and I choo- I'm choosing to do what God wants me to do today. I love God enough to, to take the step towards him and choose him over choosing myself. John Wesley puts it like this, by justification, we are saved from the guilt of sin. By sanctification, we are saved from the power and the root of sin in our lives because we continually have to kill our flesh to achieve and move towards the righteousness of God. Colossians 3 puts it like this, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, that's justification, Keep seeking the things above. That's keep seeking his sanctification. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I just want to leave you guys with this question as, as we're, we're closing out is, how have you grown closer to God lately? What have you done to kill your flesh and increase God's presence in your life? Christian, what have you done to walk deeper and closer with the Lord. I'm gonna, I, I can ask that question to myself. What have I done as priorities have had to shift? As our, as our world has changed, what have I done to make sure that the main thing stays the main thing? What have I done to pursue God? I wanna leave you guys with this last verse in 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, now may the grace of God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you've called us to a deeper understanding of you. 
God, your desire is for our pursuit of you. So Holy Spirit, I ask that as, as we come before you, that you would humble our hearts, that you would make less of me and more of you. Help me to remember that mercy triumphs over judgment. So you have called me to be merciful. Help me to remember that you have called me to be me. And that comparison is the thief of joy, and that is not something you desire for our hearts. Holy Spirit, draw us close to you. Help us live our lives as you designed, God, putting you first above all things. It's in your name that I pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.